Well, hello everybody and welcome once again. From my side, it's such a privilege and an honor to be with you, to be together in God's Word and to be able to unpack God's Word together today. If you are new with us online here at Connect Church, just want to say a very warm welcome to you. It's wonderful to have you. We started a new series last week in the letter of 2 Timothy and we've entitled that series for the sake of the gospel. So if you haven't watched the first message, I encourage you, go watch that uh, even after this. Go watch that, um, how it unpacks chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Today we're going to be diving into chapter 2. So we're really, and I'm really excited about that. I hope you are as well. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of 2 Timothy. If not, don't worry, the scriptures will come up on your screen. So just to recap quickly, uh, the letter of 2 Timothy was written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy was essentially Paul's protege, his mentee, his disciple. And Paul had spent a lot of time pouring into Timothy's life. Now, Timothy was leading a church in Ephesus. And in many ways, this letter to Timothy is a very sad letter because it's Paul's last letter that he ever writes. It's his last letter to Timothy. And, and he writes it because he knows that he's about to die. He's about to be martyred for his faith. And so he wants to leave some parting encouragement or, or to give some parting words to Timothy that would encourage him, bolster him and gird him up in the faith to help him to, to, to keep steadfastly doing what God has called him to do and what Paul has taught him and commissioned him to do in the Lord. So uh, Paul writes this final letter as a way of reminding Timothy to be faithful, to hold on to the most important things in life. So far in, in chapter 1, Paul has greeted and he's prayed for and he's encouraged Timothy. Now in chapter 2, Paul continues to encourage Timothy, but he employs uh, some metaphors to help Timothy to uh, grab hold of some of the key disciplines and principles that he needs to uh, keep in his life or, or, or nurture in his life in order to be a great follower and disciple of Jesus a great minister of the gospel of Jesus so that the church can grow. And so he gives a few examples which we'll get into, but, but, but really what Paul is doing here is teaching Timothy uh, to, to hold on to some disciplines that would really be beneficial for him. And we know that God has called us to be a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And you may not be involved in full-time ministry. You may not be a pastor at a church or in any way full-time involved at a church. But we are all ministers of the gospel. We are all preachers of the gospel. We should all be preaching the word and declaring the truth of Jesus, making disciples of disciples who make disciples. And so although this letter is written by Paul to a church leader, and he's encouraging him to hold on to some principles and to uh, fan into flame and to nurture these specific disciplines in his life for the sake of the church as a church leader. This also applies to every single one of us as well. So let's read together and then we'll unpack what some of those disciplines are that Paul gives to Timothy as a very important lesson for his future. Chapter 2 verse 1, Paul says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. 
The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, we will also be disowned. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, today we're going to be spending most of our time in verses 1 through to 7, but we're going to end with the last verses of the chapter uh, by way of encouragement and a reminder. But let's get stuck into verses 1 to 7. So, so there are some principles and some disciplines that Paul reminds Timothy about and encourages him to be faithful in. So what are some of those principles? What are those things that Paul encourages Timothy to be faithful in? Well, the first one is found in verse 1. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. So for the sake of the gospel, not only Timothy, but we need to be standing strong in the grace that is in Christ for us. In other words, a good minister, a good disciple, a good server of the Lord is one who relies on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish the things God has called us to accomplish. In the original language, in the Greek language, this be strong is a passive um, tense. It's, it's a passive uh, phrase, should I say. In other words, uh, and it's really important to know that, but what that means is that the strength was not to come from within Timothy. He was not to in some way conjure it up or try and find it within himself or pull himself up by his bootstraps, as some would say, and get on with the task, um, trying to find strength from anywhere else other than from the Lord. Timothy's source of strength was to come from the grace that he had in Jesus. I really love the way that the NEB translation uh, puts it. It says, I want you to take strength from the grace of God, which is ours in Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. Paul says, take strength from the grace of God, which is ours in Jesus Christ. As believers, we know that we are saved by grace and there's grace upon grace upon grace for us. And there is sufficient grace to meet all of our needs in Christ and for us to be able to do everything God has called us to do. But so often we fall short of tapping into that abundant energy source and power source. So often we rely on our own willpower, our own wisdom, our own abilities, our own strength. And because of that, we get drained and sapped. And Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, in order to do what you need to do for the sake of the gospel, you need supernatural power. And that is found in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kent Hughes uh, puts it like this. And just a side note, I know some people uh, don't like uh, other people being quoted or don't like to quote other people. But instead of rewording people's already really powerful uh, quotes, um, I just like to quote them as it is because sometimes reinventing the wheel is not a good thing to do. Let me just read these quotes. I've got one or two in the message, but I felt this one was incredibly powerful. Kent Hughes, uh, writing on this topic, says this. 
Nothing would come Timothy's way as he guarded the gospel that would not have that he would not have the grace and strength to handle. No person, no pain, no problem, no responsibility, no tragedy. There would be no time when he could not stand tall. And that is true for all who are in Christ and thus under his grace. If he calls you to do something, he will supply sufficient strength through his grace. If he calls you to step forward, he will give you the power. If he calls you to step up, he will give you the fortitude. If he calls you to endure, the strength you need will be found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we need to be relying on and drawing strength from the grace of Jesus. But you might ask this question, well, how do I do that? I know I can't do it in my own strength. Often the things God calls us to is overwhelming. I need strength from him, but how do I do that? This is how we draw strength from the grace of God. We stop putting our trust in our own abilities. There are some marvelously talented people in our church, around the world, and in God's universal church. But it doesn't matter how strong you are, how, tal- how talented you are, how intellectual you are, it doesn't matter how gifted you are in whatever area, nothing will be able to sustain you like the grace of God. When God calls us to something, guys, when God calls us to something, church, it is often, in fact, most times, I would venture to say all the time, bigger than who we are and greater than what we can accomplish on our own. See, Jesus calls us co-laborers. We are co-heirs and co-laborers with Christ. There's a part he plays and a part we play. If you think God has given you something to do and it's able to be achieved in your own strength, it's not a God dream or a God uh, given responsibility. God calls us to do things in his strength for his glory. And that's always bigger than what we can achieve by ourselves. So stop relying on your own wisdom, your own willpower, your own strength. Elements of those are needed, obviously, but the strength that we need to complete the task at hand is given to us by the Lord. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. The second thing we need to do in order to receive the power that comes from the grace of Jesus is to abide in Christ. This sounds very simple and very obvious, but many people miss this. This is what Jesus had to say in John 15 verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. And what is Jesus saying here? We accomplish many things during our day. Even the laziest of all of us accomplishes one or two things every now and then in our own strength. Jesus is speaking about the things he's called us to accomplish. He's saying, if you want to accomplish anything for the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, the things I called to you two are greater than you and are beyond your ability to achieve. Therefore, remain in me and I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit because of me in you. It's Christ at work in, it's Christ at work in us that outworks and achieves his purposes for his glory. Then the next thing that Paul says to Timothy, so number one, remain strong in the grace of God. Number two, in verse two, Paul says this to Timothy, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, Timothy, the discipline that I want you to keep hold of is to remain in the grace of God and to hand down your faith, hand down the teaching of the gospel to reliable people. When Paul calls Timothy, to faithfully teach others. He's calling him to faithfully teach what he had already received from Paul. And the word in trust, really, if you dig into it, means taking something that's valuable 
and putting it into something that can keep it safe. Entrust reliable witnesses with this very valuable message. It's like putting gold and jewels into a safety deposit box or into a safe at home. Paul is telling Timothy, take this very precious um, cargo, this very precious truth that you have, this teaching, this gospel, and deposit it into something safe so that it can become kept safe. But obviously the idea is that it needs to be done over and over and repeated. We need to be making disciples of disciples who make disciples. You see, Timothy himself was part of this long line or this long train or chain, if you will, of faithful teachers who had been entrusted with the word of God, who had then in turn handed it down to someone else who was trustworthy. In fact, as we read this scripture in these passages and these verses, there are four generations mentioned just in these verses alone. It's, it's, it's Paul who teaches to Timothy who relies, who, who then entrusts his message, which he's received from Paul, to some faithful uh, people who then in turn are supposed to hand it down to others. So you've got Paul, Timothy, faithful people who will then hand it down to faithful people. A gentleman by the name of William Barclay says, The teacher is the link in the living chain which stretches unbroken from this present moment back to Jesus. The glory of teaching is that it links the present with the earthly life of Jesus. And I absolutely love this thought and this concept and it blew my mind when I thought about it a bit. And just a bit of a sideline note about me, which I'll tie into, into this, obviously. But I like to think about crazy things sometimes and sometimes some weird stuff happens in my head. You don't have to be concerned. Um, but, but, but one of the weird things that happens to me is often when I'm walking on a road or when I'm driving, say like on the M3, uh, I'll, I'll be taking my son to school or going to pick him up or going down to Musenberg. While I'm on the road, this thought occurs to me that this road directly links me to Joburg. I may not be in Joburg, but I can drive unbroken from where I am now to Joburg. All the roads link. And you might not have thought about that, but I think that's a really cool thing that someone can be standing on a road in Cape Town and someone else can be essentially standing on the same road, unbroken, linked together in Joburg. Now, there's a whole bunch of technical things you can argue there. It's not technically the same road, not the same town, not the same names. I get that. But the idea that we're linked, unbroken to each other, is sometimes quite wonderful for me to think about. I don't know why, it just is. But I thought about that and then thought about this teaching that Paul gives to Timothy to hand down your faith. You know, Jesus has played the ultimate game of broken telephone. The problem is, for us, when we play it, we get it wrong all the time. I don't know if you ever played broken telephone. It's the most ridiculously funny thing you can ever play. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, adults, teenagers, children, everyone gets it wrong. I don't think I've ever played a game of broken telephone where the message that was originally given is not horrendously skewed when it comes out the other end. But by the Spirit of God, He has sustained this message, this unadulterated, this pure message that has come from the mouth of Jesus to the apostles, down to faithful people who then handed it down to more faithful people, who handed it down to more faithful people. And you and I, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, are a result of faithful people handing down the teaching of Jesus. And so when we hear the teaching and the message of Jesus, not only as it is written in the Word, but as people preach it and teach it, we are linked directly to Jesus. This faithful line of ongoing teaching links us back to Jesus when he originally taught. And that is a wonderful thought to contemplate and to ponder on. But Paul is saying to Timothy, don't let it stop with you. For the sake of the gospel, hand it down. Hand it down. 
And I just want to say this. Paul says, entrusted to faithful people. Now, there's a real difference between uh, preaching the gospel, preaching and declaring the kingdom of God to all creation, and preaching the gospel so that all can hear. That has to happen. And we're going to preach the gospel so that the faithful and the unfaithful can hear. Those who will respond and those who don't respond and won't respond. We need to preach the gospel continuously. Right? We, we are going to be throwing, as God's word says, sometimes pearl to swine. We're going to be throwing out the gospel, this most valuable thing. And sometimes people are not going to appreciate it for what it's worth and for what it is. And sometimes people are. We're meant to be preaching. But what Paul is saying to Timothy is, I want you to hand this down to faithful people now. There is a process you need to go on. You need to select, spend some time before the Lord and select and pray for some faithful people that you know you can deposit this into because their job and responsibility is going to be to do the same and to find more faithful people to hand it down to. And this needs to continue until I come back. Until Jesus comes back, until Paul comes back. This is what Jesus is saying to us. So there's a preaching of the word And then there is an entrusting of the word to somebody to go and hand it down to somebody. And these people obviously hand it down to more faithful people, but they also preach the word out there. Because God's word says that people need to be saved and how they're going to be saved if they don't know and how they're going to know if they don't hear and how they're going to hear if we don't preach. It's typical Romans, Paul writing in Romans. So we need to be preaching. But in a sense, what Paul is saying to Timothy is like a running race, a relay race where you're handing over a baton from one member of the team to the next. Keep passing the baton on to a reliable, faithful person who can continue the job and do as good a job, maybe even better than you did. I don't know if you watch athletics. I don't really, but I was super proud of our uh, SA, our South African men who competed recently in some really important athletics games. I think it's the World Athletics Games. I don't know. Uh, but they won the 400 meter relay race, I think it was. And um, I was just thinking to myself about that as I was preparing this message. I just thought every single one of those guys on the team was dedicated, committed, hardworking, and they trusted in each other. Each one was faithful to practice. Each one was faithful in training. Each one was faithful to their diet regime. Each one was faithful to their coach and to doing what they needed to do in order to win. And I think they pipped, I think it was the, 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 the Brazilian team. Um, they pipped them at the line by like a hundredth of a second or a tenth of a second. I can't remember what it was, but we won. Um, And uh, it was fantastic. If one of those men on the team was unfaithful to the discipline that was needed in order to get there, we wouldn't have won. If they had put me, let's just say, for instance, uh, somewhere along that track, it doesn't matter how good the other guys were or are, you certainly would not have won. Now, I'm not trying to beat myself up. Uh, but I'm just being honest. I'm not a pessimist or an optimist. I'm a realist and I, I can't run 100 meters in under 10 seconds. These guys can. The difference between obviously running and the spiritual responsibility we have is that running is in your own strength. The spiritual responsibility we have to hand down our faith is in God's strength. And we, each of us, are responsible for handing down that very valuable baton. This baton, this thing we need to pass on is the gospel. And if we have a broken chain or a broken link, it doesn't get passed on. We are the result and the fruit of others being faithful in that. And we need to be faithful ourselves because who knows how many more generations down the line still need to come before the Lord comes back and who will be saved and come to know Jesus because we're faithful with that. It's not just pastors, it's not just youth leaders, children's pastors, senior pastors, associate pastors, missionaries that need to be doing this. 
Yes, we need to be faithful in that. Yes, our job is full-time in the temple, serving ministry work. But each and every single one of us, as children of God, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, is charged with the responsibility of finding faithful people and that you are faithful in handing the message of the gospel down to them so that they can do the same. So Paul says to Timothy, stand firm in the grace of God. Hand down your faith to faithful people so that they can do the same. Then he says to him in verse 3, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serves as a soldier, gets entangled. No one who serves as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. In other words, a strong disciple, a strong minister, a strong uh, server or follower of Jesus is one who has an attitude of a soldier towards his work. The analogy of a soldier here is a soldier that's engaged in battle, a soldier that is engaged and has a present and current assignment, which means that at that time, the soldier's priorities are that assignment and that assignment alone. All other distractions and, 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 and things of the outside world are forgotten about until this assignment is achieved. In other words, they are to be disciplined and single-mindedly committed to the cause. This is what Paul says is necessary for the sake of the gospel in Timothy's life and in ours. Our priority in life needs to be the glory of Jesus Christ, the extension of his kingdom. And the preaching and the ministering and the handing down of the gospel from one generation to the next. But Paul doesn't just call Timothy to be a soldier, he calls him to be a good soldier. You see, the implication here is that you get ordinary soldiers, bad soldiers and good soldiers. Just because you're a soldier doesn't mean that you're a good one. In fact, I'm sure there are some soldiers who just occupy space and have the title of soldier but are not worth uh, the space they occupy because at the slightest temptation, they show cowardice, run away, become idle, useless, worthless to the army they're supposed to be serving. Soldiers are just soldiers. But God calls us and Paul calls Timothy to be a good soldier. Courageous, brave, zealous for the cause, committed and desiring all the time to please the commanding officer. A good soldier is, is one who's willing to suffer alongside other brothers and sisters. A good soldier is one who longs to please his commanding officer. A good soldier is one who stays focused at the task at hand or on the task at hand and avoids outside distractions. A good soldier is one who seeks to achieve their task as excellently as possible. Paul says to Timothy, have the mindset of a soldier, disciplined, single-minded commitment to the cause of Jesus for the sake of the gospel and the glory of his name. This is what you need to do. We need to be fully committed, self-controlled and disciplined. And church, this is something we need to be cultivating in our lives. This is something we need to be really making sure we fan into flame. We're supposed to fan our gifts into flame, but we need to fan dedication and commitment to the cause into flame for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of Jesus. Paul's teaching to Timothy had to be like a single-minded soldier, dedicated and disciplined, is very much hand-in-hand and emphasizes the teaching that Jesus brings in the book of Luke chapter 14, where, where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It goes hand in hand with what uh, Paul is saying because Jesus is saying, uh, compared to me, 
the love that you have for other things and other people, the most significant people in your life, needs to look like hate. You need to love me so much that your love for everyone and anything else needs to look like hate. Obviously, Jesus is not saying you need to hate them because God's word says, love your mother and father. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus is using an exaggeration here to explain the type of commitment necessary for a disciple of his. Jesus says, I need to be front and center. I need to be your cause. You need to be committed to me. Nothing else matters when compared to me, anything and everything else pales and falls to the wayside. That's what Jesus is saying. Paul's saying the same thing to Timothy. Then, then, then he goes on and he says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. In other words, a strong minister of the gospel for the sake of the gospel competes according to God's rules. Now, the Christian life is often compared to a race, but we're not racing against each other. We are racing our own race. We're in our own track, our own line and our own path running this race that God has set before us so that we can achieve a crown. We can achieve a reward, the promise of salvation that God has got for us at the end of that race if we run it faithfully according to God's rules. Paul is saying, and there's obviously a link between the soldier and the athlete in that they're disciplined, but there's something different about the athletes and, or the analogy of the athlete, and it's the idea of competing according to God's rules. And it's, it's very important to understand what Paul is saying here. And, and we get insight into what he's saying by, by, by looking at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take the prize. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that is perishable, uh, perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I am beating the air. No, I, I discipline my body and make it a slave. And this is what's important. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In other words, the rules that apply to us in this race that we're running. What Paul was saying to Timothy was that the rule that you need to abide by is that you don't just talk the walk, but you walk the talk. In other words, your life needs to manifest what you're teaching. You need to live what you're preaching. People need to hear what you're saying, but they need to see you and they need to see you living it out. In other words, your faith needs to be authentic. The rules are to hand down your faith. For the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God, for the extension of his kingdom, the rules are that you need to be saved. You need to know Jesus. You need to be intimate with Jesus. You need to be living a life of dedication and commitment and obedience to the Lord. Don't expect anybody to follow you if what you say is not what you live. And no, we're not perfect. But there's a very big difference between a hypocrite and an imperfect Christian who's being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. One of the things that destroys the church and turns people away from the church is outright blatant hypocrisy, judgmentalism, legalism. And Jesus is saying to us, through the words of Paul to Timothy, run according to the rules. You know, we have this, we have this belief that because we're saved by grace, that there's nothing we have to do. No, the book of James is very clear that grace works. As a result of grace, there are things that we do. One of the things that is very evident in the life of someone who's received the grace of God is obedience and discipline and dedication to their king. Paul is reminding Timothy, 
don't. Don't be like those who preach and teach with their mouths, but not with their lives. It was Francis of Assisi who said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and use words if you have to. Now, obviously, to preach the gospel for the sake of the gospel, we need to use words. But married with that and integrated to the verbal preaching of the word, there needs to be the living out of the word in our lives. Those are the rules. Otherwise, we get disqualified. You know, Ephesians 5, chapter 8 says, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Now, the sad thing is that many people don't know the rules. They simply just make it up. Some people even talk as though they've got some special relationship with, which, with God, which makes them exempt to following the rules. I've met so many people who believe that they're Christians who say things like, I'm okay with God at the moment. I think we're all right. God understands me. He understands where I'm at right now. And then they go on to explain why it's justified for them to be living and sleeping around and sleeping with their boyfriend and girlfriend. Why it's okay for them to be drinking too much or stealing or lying and not being honest, not repenting. Why it's okay for them to be getting involved in whatever form of rebellion it is that they're involved in. Why it's okay for them not to be participating in church community or to never go to church. Or to never be spending time in the scriptures. Hypocrisy is dangerous and damaging and so is disobedience to the Lord. This is what Paul says to Timothy. You're going to run this race. You're going to run it like a disciplined athlete. Who, when he competes, competes according to the rules, otherwise is disqualified. The next thing he says, and this is the last thing we're going to end with this today. He says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Very simply, you need to be, for the sake of the gospel, like a hardworking farmer. This is what's important. This is one of the disciplines that's important in your life, Timothy, and for us as well. So Paul switches from analogies. He goes from a military analogy to an a, um, athletic analogy, now to an agricultural analogy. And he encourages Timothy to be strong and to be hardworking like a farmer. In other words, if we're going to be strong ministers, we need to be willing to get up, to get our hands dirty, to dig down, to dig deep, to fuss bait, as they say in Afrikaans. And to just get the job done regardless of how we feel about it. Just as farmers get up early to work the field and at times go to bed late at night after working all day. We need to demonstrate the same commitment to the cause. There's a crop to be had. But there's first hard toil and labor to be done. You know, I I grew up in the Eastern Cape and I have quite a few friends uh, who own farms and who are farmers. Uh, And one particular farm is so dear to my heart. It's the farm where I got saved. And uh, my closest, one of my closest friends uh, is the farm manager there. And the farm owner is like a second father to me. And I'm always so amazed at the lifestyle that they live. Because when I go sleep over there, obviously it's so quiet. I, I, I sleep in. But by 4.30, 5 o'clock, there's a ring at the doorbell. The milk is there. There are staff at work. They're collecting eggs. It's primarily an egg farm. And it just keeps going. But the amount of time, and I'm amazed at the time that they wake up and the stuff that they get done between 5 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock in the morning is ridiculous. The amount of time I'm amazed is like, I'm just amazed all the time. And they work hard and they work long uh, and they work late into the night and then the whole cycle repeats itself. They're just hardworking people. 
And Timothy is being encouraged by Paul to be as hard working as a farmer is for the sake of the gospel. We need to be strong and not weak. You see, a good farmer is also not only strong, but patient. A farmer works hard. As Christians, we work hard. We plant, we sow, we water, but we know that God makes the fruit grow. A patient farmer in real life does the work that he needs to do and prepares the soil and then allows nature to do its thing. You can't rush it. You can't pick too soon or too late. You pick at the right time, but you've got to be patient for that growth to happen. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So a good working farmer is, is, is patient. We need to be patient, but hardworking. A good farmer is faithful in the mundane. John MacArthur writes this, he says, The teacher often finds exhilaration in the aspiring minds of the students. The soldier often has the excitement of battle and the athlete the thrill of competing. But most of a farmer's working hours are tedious, humdrum and unexciting. Many Christians live their lives like the farmers. Or many Christians' lives are like the farmers. Although they may be occasional times of excitement and special satisfaction, the daily routine is, is often in itself unattractive and unrewarding. That's not to say the Christian life isn't exciting. That's not to say that it isn't a blessing. It's just to say the reality is we're not always on the mountaintop. It's always easy to have faith on the mountaintop. It's always easy to have faith and to be excited when things are going well. But there'll be times when we're in the valley. There'll be times when we're climbing the mountain or coming down the other side. And if we're going to be like hardworking farmers, we need to know that it is often important to show integrity and hard work in the mundane and the inconvenient. When we have to break hard ground up, when we have to sow seed and water and then wait. We don't always experience great harvest seasons and revival. Most times in life, we're experiencing seasons where toiling the soil and turning the soil and sowing is the reality. But for the farmer who does this, and this is what Paul indicates to Timothy as well, and it's a great encouragement for us. The farmer who does this well is the one who reaps the reward. He's also able to partake in the reward. So to be a farmer, obviously, you get to enjoy the, the fruits of your labor first. This farm that I was telling you about in the Eastern Cape, they're an egg farm. And um, there's just an endless supply of eggs. And, and so we, there's, there's just omelets and cakes and cupcakes and biscuits and whatever else being bought. And the farm next door supplies the dairy and it's fresh milk. And we skim the cream off the top and we make butter. And so there's butter being made. There's fresh milk. There's eggs. It's just wonderful to, to be in a place where the produce that's going out to the shops is actually produced there. And it comes to your doorstep unpackaged, unadulterated, just pure. And we get to engage and to, and to enjoy that first. And Paul is saying to Timothy, if you labor hard, like a hardworking farmer, if you toil the soil, sow the seed, water it and wait for God to, to make it grow, when it grows, the fruit that comes from that, you'll enjoy it first. You'll get to partake in that. We get to one day stand before Jesus and see the people that came to know him because of our faithful service and then Jesus gets the glory. And you work hard, the fruit of your labor will be Jesus saying to you one day, well done my good and faithful servant. Come and enter the kingdom, take your prize, here's your inheritance. And nothing's going to compare to that. 
But there's also a sense of enjoying the first fruits uh, um, in the sense that as, as, as someone who's charged with the responsibility of preaching the gospel, you are preaching out of what's already in you. No preacher or teacher or Christian should be handing stuff down to people they don't have. You're handing out of emptiness. And so as a hardworking farmer, we toil the soil or till the soil and toil the soil of our own lives. We allow Jesus to do that for ourselves. We sow into our own lives spiritual things. We sow to please the Lord. And so in our own lives, things begin to grow. We experience things with the Lord as you prepare a word to teach. Often the teacher is the first one blessed because they've spent the time in the word. And so you're eating the fruits of your labor first before you hand it down to other people. You're preparing. And as you're preparing yourself, you experience blessing. And as you experience blessing, now you teach others how to prepare and to be blessed. And so in that sense, a hardworking farmer sees the fruit of his labor and gets to experience it first. And I think we're going to end there today. But just a reminder that God has called us for the sake of the gospel to be strong in his grace, to be faithful teachers and handers down, handers down of the word to faithful people who will do the same. We must have a mindset and attitude of a soldier, single-minded, dedicated. We must have the mindset of a professional athlete who competes according to the rules so that they can win the prize. And we need to be like a hard-working farmer who spends time in the mundane, working as hard as they can because they know that there's a fruit and there's a crop and there's a blessing to be had. Church, I trust that you are blessed and that you're encouraged and that you'll have a wonderful day, and uh, hope to get to see you soon. Bless you. Bye.